steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs, sideline, touchdown. to the Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Maholt. And today, we are jumping into the Minnesota Vikings offseason. Not the NFL offseason, the Minnesota Vikings offseason, because, as we all know, the Vikings were eliminated in Week 16. So, for the... For no reason other than just to complete the season, we will go over um, the Vikings uh, dismantling of the Detroit Lions, which um, I'm using that term very loosely today. Uh, (laughs) I was going to say, that was a two-point win. (laughs) I had Vikings minus three, and I didn't get paid for it. (laughs) Um, So we'll spend some time on that, and I think really the big news today um, coming out of, uh, you know, the NFL and specifically the Vikings is the Gary Kubiak news um, his, his potential retirement. I don't believe that's actually set in stone as of this recording, uh, but we are certainly looking in that direction. So we'll cover that a little bit, talk about some candidates that, you know, come off the cuff for us um, and that type of thing. And then we'll finish up here just with a little bit of a kind of a, a friendly playoff preview. We'll go over the pick situation. Um, you know, who finished up as the victor there. It was me. And uh, you know, so little, little playoff scenario action they got some fun stuff this week and i think it should be you know even without the vikings in it uh we got a good batch of games here that um, i believe are all you know set by vegas to be at least nine point nine points is the most um, that they're giving a team right now so it should be a good wild card weekend and we'll spend some time on that. probably the saints right against the bears uh no actually the bears were actually in solid position i think it was eight and a half for it wasn't washington either um all right hold on i can't I see this now <laughs> Anyways, I'm confused. I'll, that's fine. You look that up. Um, I'll jump into it here. Let's get started with uh, this situation here that the Vikings had to play out. Um, your Minnesota Vikings are officially a seven and nine football team in 2020, and let's be real here. That's about what they were. That's what I saw this season. Um, seven and nine record objectively makes sense to me. Um, and while they probably shouldn't have won against the Lions uh, yesterday, you know, if you're thinking future, I'm sure some of you were screaming and some of you were screaming at the people who were screaming. Uh, but ultimately, the Vikings did win, and now they will be drafting number 14. Um, they they could have gone as high as nine. I know that the Chargers won. There's a couple things there that could have, you know, shook, shake, shaken out a little bit differently, but this is what it is. It's seven and nine for the Vikings. Uh, they win by a final score of 37 to 35, basically riding this thing on the back of Kirk Cousins uh, with Dalvin Cook out and him having, you know, uh, statistically one of the best performances of his career. Yeah, that that was, it was fun. It was a fun game to watch. It I definitely mean, was. I, I, it was fun sure. to watch, uh, you know, despite the fact that neither team was playing for anything. Um, I think, you know, Stafford and Cousins were slinging it down the field. Neither secondary could do anything besides, I think, the interception by Harrison Smith. Otherwise, really, there was no play made by either secondary the whole game. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, it was fun to watch in that perspective. A lot of offense, a lot of passing yards in the game. Um, And I I think it it did in a nice way, you know, put a a nice 
you know, cherry on top, so to speak, of the offensive season that the Vikings had. Um, very efficient, both running the ball and passing the ball. Uh, so kudos to, you know, Kirk Cousins, especially for having an efficient year, given the circumstances. Um, and of course, we got to give it up for Justin Jefferson, uh, who, again, given the circumstances, it's especially hard for rookies this year. And he was able to literally uh, per- put together perhaps the best rookie wide receiver season of all time. Of course, I don't want to jump the gun on Randy Moss or Anquan Bolden on that yet, given the eras they played in. But Justin Jefferson, one of the best, for sure, best five seasons um, as a rookie wide receiver in the history of the league. So um, there are some fun things to take away from the game like that, uh, that I, you know, really enjoyed watching yesterday. Uh, So, I mean, there's, there, there's, that's kind of the easy uh, way to kind of settle into the show before we get into some of the more serious discussions where we might fire some hot takes and and start cooking this team a little bit. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So Kirk Cousins looked good. uh, I suppose. And (laughs) I suppose. it's yeah, it's against Detroit. This is the second worst defense in terms of scoring of all time. So 405 yards, you know, 70% passing. That's awesome. But this is the second worst defense yeah. of all time. So I don't know how much you can take away from that. Hey, uh, what's worse though? Kirk Cousins gritty or the Lions defense? Uh, I would say I enjoyed the Lions defense more. <laughs> I, I, know, I personally enjoyed the gritty more. I, I saw that. I I'm saw still, a lot of Twitter really. I'm still it. giggling about it, uh, and I will for a while. My favorite thing, though, and this is one of my favorite kind of trends on Twitter that I saw, is that people were saying, "You know, he practiced," and I could totally see. Oh, him I could totally him see him by like, himself with like yeah, his yeah. wife in the background, being like, "Good job, Kirk." Like, <laughs> um, yeah, that definitely added some humor to um, a game that was. Know, kind of embedded without humor. There was no real fun here. Um, Marvin Jones did eight for 180 in the quietest, you know, huge performance of his career. Oh, probably. Yeah. I mean, he continues. That guy loves playing the Vikings. Yeah, he continues to devastate the Vikings. It's literally, it's literally been about 24 since 24 hours after I said that Marvin Jones sucked. He has been torching the Vikings ever since. Yeah, what was that? Two years ago, I think. I think it was three years ago. Three years ago. <laughs> yeah. It might have been right before the. It might have been right before the Thanksgiving game in 2017. I think it was 2017, something like yeah. Something yeah. like that, right before the Thanksgiving game. Because that's when he scored a couple of big touchdowns in that game. We kind of keep the Lions in it, and then he's been He's had 200 since. yards twice. He's had over 170 yards three times, and he scored four touchdowns in a game one time. And that's in the, what, six games since I said that? So not 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 a great, <laughs> you know, little cold, little bit of a cold take on that one. But um, let's see, what else happened here? Um, Justin Jefferson, of course, as everyone knows, is the, like you just said, uh, is officially broke the, the rookie receiving record for the Super Bowl era specifically. Yep. There's going to be some guy out there that's going to be screaming about how he's not the all-time leader, but let's be real here. Um, this I agree with you. This is one of the most prolific seasons you'll ever see. And in my mind, it's number two only to Randy Moss. Um, there's some people out there, uh, I'm sh- confident, who will argue that this is the best rookie season for a receiver ever. I don't blame you guys. It's just that ultimately I value touchdowns more than yards. Uh, and, you know, Justin Jefferson had about 80 yards more than Randy Moss and about nine fewer touchdowns, which just puts an exclamation point on how crazy of a rookie season Randy Moss had when he scored 17 touchdowns on what, 10 fewer receptions uh, than Jefferson had. Um, so to me, that's still, that's still a sticking point, but you know, congrats nonetheless. It's, what literally the biggest bright spot on this team and the, and the, you know, the number one motivation for, you know, this team being able to compete moving forward is probably that guy um, at the Vikings, yeah. you know, 
were very, you know, we were all concerned. We had concerns. We thought, oh, yeah, people were saying slot receiver. People were saying not as good as Stefan Diggs, not worth the trade, this, that, whatever. Um, and I think Vikings got really lucky. I mean, it's they did like, get lucky. Like, that's the, the, we should be like condemning the process the Vikings used to get Jefferson out of this, <laughs> right? Because I, I don't agree with it, but they got lucky and it worked out because. Yep. I mean, Philly makes the right move and takes Jefferson. This trade does not work out. Uh, he but is good. Was, right. Well, yeah. And it was it was fair. Or I guess it was fun to watch the reactions of the Vikings front office and Zimmer recirculate again on Twitter yesterday uh, of when they saw the Eagles take Rager and then were like, yep, all right, we got Jefferson. They immediately grabbed him and put him on the phone. Yep. So that was fun to watch. And again, that's, that's the great part about the season, really. The number one bright spot, I think, is Jefferson – be essentially already is a superstar receiver in the league. Mm-hmm. I believe he was number one in DVOA. He was number two PFF 10? grade. Fair, fair he, question. I think he is. I mean, I, I, it's not Can you like name ten receivers that are better. Honestly, like I, I tried to do it today. I was, I, I spent about an hour at work today just sifting through the NFL leaders. Right. I mean, leaders, you can't, you can't like Jefferson is top he's up ten there. receiver right now. He, I mean, it's not like he's just getting these numbers. It's not like it's a pure volume thing. He's not even getting nearly the targets he should be still. Which down the stretch of the season, he did get kind of star level targets probably second half of the year which about time but uh you know he he runs routes better than so many players uh he's great high catch point um i mean it's he does everything really really well he is a superstar already uh which you know i did not see coming i don't think but uh you know kudos to the vikings for grabbing receiver and realizing it was a need um especially right after the uh the digs trade and they filled the spot they needed to and i would i would almost argue they go after receiver again uh, aggressively in this draft but uh, that's a discussion for another show certainly uh, just to kind of follow up on what i was saying about statistically speaking i mean he finished fourth overall in receiving yards but the craziest thing to me is kind of the down year that the individual football player had this year this was this to me i saw a lot of more diversification of assets this year so now there was only 18 players in the nfl that had a thousand receiving yards this year 18 that's it um and to go even further with that there's only eight running backs who had a thousand rushing yards nine total humans including lamar jackson of course who pushed across the thousand yard mark yesterday so to do what jefferson did in the circumstances being a rookie uh, low expect, well, not low expect expectations, but not certainly not that high of expectations. Right. Um, incredible, an incredible year, and definitely the shining star here for this team. Uh, and you know what the funniest part is, is that there's still Vikings fans beating themselves up about this because, of course, Stephon Diggs finishes arguably the number one or number two uh, receiver in the NFL. He, if I had a vote, it would be Devonte Adams and Stephon Diggs for All Pro, with Justin Jefferson and DeAndre Hopkins being that second tier. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Outstanding year. Don't let that damper it. I mean, Stefan Diggs had an incredible year as well, but just don't let don't let that right. take it from it. Um, as far as the rest of this football game goes, I think that really those are the two bright spots. You have to be happy with what you get from Alexander Madison on 21 carries. Uh, he showed why he's the number two and why he could be, you know, a serviceable player. He totaled 145 yards. Again, t- second worst defense of all time, but still did that. Uh, yeah, just give that caveat every single time you I have to, say something I have positive to. about the Vikings. But it's, I mean, it's fair. This team is, this Lions defense is pretty atrocious. But like, I mean, that does, I'm going to use that as more support for my, you know, the take of, uh, I don't want to say running backs don't matter, but, uh, you know, like Madison's production um, right. in a full time role is not that much different than Cook's. Like, it's, it's right. not worth the contract that Cook received, but that's, 
already a, a moot argument at this point. Cook's got the contract already. Um, so, I mean, and, earning it, at least. That's and that's the deal, too, is, you know, Madison has shown in a few games, you know, like talk about the Seattle game where Cook had to go off for injury and Madison put up 100 yards in that game. And then this one here, too, like he can be a featured back and and succeed pretty well. Uh, he's, you know, he's when he as he has that time to be a free agent, he'll maybe look elsewhere at a higher chance to get more carries because in this offense, as long as Dalvin Cook's healthy, that's two or three carries a game for Madison. But um, I mean, yeah, great performance by him. Uh, you know, he took advantage of the opportunities he had, and he may have made himself some money. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I certainly think that he extended his career in the NFL by the way he's played in, you know, spot starter slash backup duty. Uh, I think he's at least, you know, most guys on a rookie contract that are drafting the first three rounds, you get four years for sure. You're lucky to get five if you get more than six as a hell of a draft pick, yeah. right? I think Alexander Madison is going to be in the league for at least six years, and I think he will get an opportunity to be, you know, more of a starter, not a starter, but maybe, you know, I don't think it's going to be in Minnesota, but I do think that at some point someone's going to give him more carries than, well, like you said, two or three a game when Dalvin Cook is in there. Um as far as other shining stars here that we got, you know, we get the Chad BB play. I don't care yeah. about that. Know, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I, I know someone cares about that. I don't. I'm not buying into, you know, the thread that, you know, the Vikings finally did it in, you know, two-minute situation. Well, that was just – That was a broken that, that, play. That yeah. was terrible defense. That was the best play of a guy's career. He'll never get – It's a good throw. It's a good throw. Uh, I mean, if defense makes the play, they tackle him in balance, and that's the end of the half, right? Uh, right. So, but – the the I think the other issue we need to talk about uh, is kicker because well a <laughs> two extra points were missed and I, I a had few other issues two extra about. points were missed that's and I had Vikings minus three so that's one reason we need to bring this up uh, Dan Bailey man uh, I mean also by the way the, the practice squad kicker that Vikings had cut uh, right after the Bucks game to keep Bailey McLaughlin, went to San Francisco. Right? went to San oh, no, Francisco, that Tristan something, something, I don't right, know. Right. I can't pronounce his last name, but he went, I think he went perfect for the Niners uh, yesterday, which is just, per, per, you know, fitting. Right. Um, so I, I would imagine there's not a real high chance Bailey is returning for the Vikings, but who's to say, uh, and, I don't think he's returning to the NFL. Uh, well, yeah, that's probably the better <laughs> bet. And then it becomes, is this franchise going to really draft another specialist draft another kicker? And oh, I feel like they will tantrum right here like on this will. podcast. If that happens again, fifth rounder earlier, I'll accept sixth or seventh round because I know the Vikings just don't like they, they don't. Care. Well, for one, they, they have 25 like, of those picks anyway. Right. Exactly. So if they do it in the sixth or seventh, I'll still be mad, but I won't throw a tantrum. If it's fifth or earlier, if they do anything in that na- neighborhood, whether it's I don't care if it's, you know, I don't care if you're the best kicker of all time. Doesn't matter. I had Jeff Locke happened. I'm done. I'm done with specialists earlier in the fifth. That happens again. We'll yell about it at that point in time. Uh, as for your friend, Tristan Vizcaino, you're right. There you go. He went uh, three for three, <laughs> three for three with a long of 47, and he hit all of his extra points as well. So, you know, does it really matter? No, it doesn't. But something to kind of point and laugh at. Uh, the kicking situation should be different next year. I still don't know why Marwin Malouf is still the special teams coordinator. That's got to change as well. Um, you know, the punting situation is fine. I don't hate Colquitt, but I'd be okay with him being gone as well. If, if you want to rehaul this entire ship for me, I'm cool with it because I, everything sucks about the special teams. It killed the Vikings in at least one game. And if you've been paying attention lately, you know that had the Vikings just beaten Chicago, They'd be in the playoffs. So it's really inches here. And to me, 
it's not that hard to to get rid of a kicker to rehaul your special yeah. teams. It's you, also you bring back Marcus Sherrill's if you can. I, get that bring, guy back, dude. I don't care who it is. Abdullah looked okay. I don't. I just don't want to see Osborne anymore. I, I, I'm done with him. I'm done with a lot of guys, to be honest with you. Let's get let's get into that too, because the defense had a lot of guys in this game where it just kind of, yeah. for me, you know, they kind of. The guys, the way that the defense played in this game to me is was about right for their long-term kind of perspective for me. Harrison Smith showed me that he's still a quality safety. He may have lost a bit of a step. I don't think his zone coverage is as good as it once was, uh, but he's still got the mind for it. He's still a smart player, and he still you know reads his assignments extremely well. But then you look on the other side, Anthony Harris, who, of course, you know, most of us, I think, had the idea that he was going to be here long term and shore up that safety spot opposite Smith and also allow for kind of a bridge player to help out whoever replaces Harrison Smith in the next couple of years. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen because he played awful. And granted, Detroit's offense is not as bad as its defense is. In fact, I would argue that their offense is good at some at some levels. But Anthony Harris looked bad multiple times, three or four times. D- disgusting. Disgusting plays by Anthony Harris. I don't, I don't know what you do with them. I think that the, I think the Vikings made the hard choice, and I think they made the right choice. That's where I stand on Anthony Harris. Yeah, in terms of the, the franchise offseason. tag versus right. giving him a long term deal, it's, it seems like they have made the right choice as of now. Uh, that'll be one to look at. And I, and here's, I don't, I, I do think he set a high bar, right? Like, it was one of those where it was probably a, a career season that, and that just doesn't get repeated, right? Uh, a season like that. So to some extent. I'm not like off the Harris train, but I do think like, like I, like I think there's value in bringing him back um, given that, you know, his, his value in free agency and his value as a player has dropped a little bit. I think the, the lesser dollars might be intriguing to bring him back again in terms of just keeping the continuity, keeping the familiarity with sure. the defense that will be crucial because there's going to be a bunch of turnover elsewhere on this roster. So uh, I, I'm not like done with Anthony Harris by any means personally, um, but there was a, a decline. I think you could see that in 2020. I haven't quit on him because for the same reason that I wasn't ready to coin him as a superstar safety at the end of one year last year, I'm not ready to write him off as, you know, trash after, you know, a down year. Uh, but now we get to find out what the median value is, right? Like if this is bad, last right. year was good. Um, next year, hopefully right, he'll be I back. Mean, this, it all works kind of together, right? It all works together because there was no pass rush anywhere right, on right. this team. And, I mean, I'm sure you go back and watch last year, some of the plays Harris made, whether it was an interception, whether it was mm-hmm. whatever the case is, you know, that could have been created by the quarterback being pressured and forcing a, a bad decision, that kind, of, that kind of thing. And it's tough for the defense to create turnovers if there is absolutely no pass rush to be found. So that is another thing. And it, it, I mean, defense, it all works together. We've talked about that before and been kind of get to the pass rush situation here where let's keep in mind, Yannick Ngakwe led the Vikings in sacks this year. Right. Bad. He played six games. Had five sacks. And the next best was Ifadio Denebo at three and a half. So they, I mean, that that to me, the front four to me is the clearly the number one priority because I think you saw some positives at the cornerbacks. It wasn't it definitely wasn't good all the time, but you saw some positives. You know, D- Dancer looks like he can be a really solid player. Right. He had injuries all across the board, but that, that defensive line is just really it's not good. It's not good. Um, <laughs> And I mean, I know Hunter and Pierce are coming back, but you still need more than that. You need depth too. There's no depth on this defensive line uh, to be found anywhere. So I, I mean, I think Ofani Odenabo is perfect as rotational guy. Get him into a starter role. I think you saw this year it wasn't quite 
the producer that you were hoping for. So a lot of needs, a lot of work needs to be done there. Whether you draft a guy high, whether you, I don't know what you do. Uh, I haven't done a full look at prospects or anything, but there's, I think for me, that's the most concerning unit and the entire roster is the defensive line. That's including, you know, if, even if with Hunter and Pierce back, I think you got to fix that up right away. That's the number one priority to me. It's funny because I was, you know, when I was talking earlier about kind of individual stats being down this year, how many players, you know, how many guys across the league do you think get double digit sacks over the course of an NFL season? Like in your mind, what's, what makes sense? Mm, to you? Like probably, I don't know, eight to 10, something like There's, that. There was 10 this year total. And the highest count, of course, is TJ Watt at 15. So this year is also, you know, from my perspective, also a down year in terms of sack numbers. And, you know, as Vikings fans, I think we're used to having at least one guy in double digits for sacks. Right. Um, whether it's Jared Allen, Daniil Hunter, Everson Griffin, whoever. Well, I know if you go back, I mean, last year, Fadi has seven and a half. I think if you go back, there's probably a handful of seasons over the past, you know, during his numbers tenure where you got guys with, seven sacks or more i would i would argue there's probably a couple in there where you get three or three guys that have seven plus sacks uh, i would imagine last year was one of them with griffin and odenabo and hunter right all getting seven sacks uh, i go back into like the robison uh and griffin days with hunter in there as well probably 2015 2016 you get sort of the same deal so there's that clearly there was a drop off there and it's i mean it's the same coach same system uh there's just the talent's not there and the the sack numbers aren't there and i know it's a different era the quarterback's getting the ball out quicker but that's got to change there's no pressure on the quarterback and that's only making it harder for your rookie quarterbacks to have no experience to cover guys just for the record by the way i just double checked this to to see if my kind of my vantage point was accurate in 2019 so last year there was 18 players who oh had, wow so that's even higher than i expected and then the year prior, it was 20. So um, it is down across the league. But that, I mean, again, we don't care about the rest of the league as long as they're, you know, not sacking our quarterback. But uh, that being said, you're right. The defensive line definitely needs to be right up top there uh, in terms of what you're going to do. I think you can be happy with what you saw from, you know, Wanham. He, he was a lot better than I thought he was going to be, but I don't think he's ready to start. So you need to be looking at both free agency and the draft for pass rushers, I think. Um especially I want to know what's going on with Daniel Hunter too. Like, is it a 100% chance that he's going to be the guy for 16 games next year? And we need some answers there as well. That's um, a, yeah, I mean, that's the other part of this in terms of depth. Like, like that's a neck injury. I mean, yeah, that's as far not as good. I know, that's neck scary. injuries are, it's, that's something that, you know, I'm not going to, I don't think anybody can guarantee he's going to be ready week one. So right. you got to get more in. You have to that. I mean, and it, it already defensive line is already, you know, a top, you know, three, four, five position in terms of value, right? You get quarterback, cornerback, receiver, and probably defensive line right there. And so and then the Vikings this year, they, it was it just stunk. Uh, they mm -hmm. couldn't stop the run, couldn't get that after the passer. There was nothing really that promising about it. So starts right there. And I mean, I think missing a nose tackle, especially that's where yeah. Zimmer's defense really kind of is anchored by a nose tackle or a defensive lineman that can take up multiple blockers, take up space and allow, you know, them to play, you know, five, six in coverage, but let a nose tackle kind of eat up space right. and be effective in the trenches. And the Vikings don't have that right now. So that's the next step here. Maybe Pierce is that guy, but again, you can't trust anybody to, you know, play the whole season, 16 games, play every snap. That's just not happening. So 
Um, I, it, there's a lot of that's that's to me the biggest hole that needs to be filled for this defense for this team. This it's really line. just defensive line across the board. Which right. Is oh fishy. yeah. It's, it's it's pass rushing. It's nose tackle. It's run stuffing. Defensive tackle. It's three tech. It's 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 funny it's because all. it's not like the Vikings have you know been shy about alloc- allocating assets to their defensive right. line. I think there was a stretch there from Mike Zimmer's arrival in 2014 through. Know, it might even be as soon as this year where they've drafted a you know a defensive end in the third round like every year. It's not just Neil Hunter. It's Scott yeah, they, Crichton. They, they love using mid round picks. Yeah, they love it. So on uh, on your pass rushing defensive ends, um, and then they're not. I mean, it's, it hasn't been like they haven't you know drafted D tackles either. So I mean, they're they're going after those guys. Uh, you know, the Armand Washington Johnson. Have, they uh, seem to have missed with a couple Lynch, of these mid round. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like they're not. There's you're you with these. If you get enough of those mid-round picks, you're hoping one turns into a starter, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the idea. And obviously not all of them are going to hit, but it seems like all these guys, every one of them has been backup level or worse to this point. So you just kind of missed on all of them. Right. Uh, so it's about, I mean, they're due to hit one, I guess, if you're into the gambling uh, odds, you know, they're due to hit on one of them. All right, last two things about this game. Well, one thing is about the actual game, and one thing is about what happened after the game. Um Two guys for me that I think are fringe players for next year already that I thought that, you know, in the last couple of weeks did a lot to help their case. Um, Harrison Hand and mm-hmm. Hercules Matafa. I thought both of those guys showed that they can be um, rotational players, guys that Harrison Hand especially um, was in the right place 98% of the time. He just didn't get his head around every single time, but he was there. Um, and that's, you know, 90% of the battle as a cornerback. Uh, so I'm happy with his production. I think Matafa has really kind of come into that role as being just the weird wild card where yeah. it's, whether it's line, line him up, linebacker, in, line him up at the a gap or line him up at it's working. Outside, he's, doing, yeah. he's doing damage. So I think those two guys, you know, if you look at, you know, a lot of these guys that were playing yesterday don't have anything to worry about, but for the ones that do um, hand and Madafa specifically, I think entered next season, you know, with their stock rising as opposed to falling with, you know, guys like, you know, Blake Lynch, uh, Eddie Yarborough, Ryan Connolly, Cordrea Tankersley, whose number wasn't even right. All those guys <laughs> essentially assured themselves of being practice squad at best next year, assuming you know, they have eligibility. But my point being here is that's about where we stand in this game. You know, the Vikings get the W. Um, but then what happened after this game is what was really interesting, and that was Mike Zimmer's press conference. And I think that this kind of raised hell um, on Twitter or you know wherever you are. Um, if you got a Vikings fan in your family, I imagine that at least one of them was probably pissed about what Mike Zimmer had to say. Now, in my opinion, Mike Zimmer didn't say anything wrong, right? He didn't say anything that was incorrect. Nothing was incorrect or false. Okay, so that we got to start there first and foremost because I think it's important to to argue, you know, that he deals in facts, which I'm I'm okay with. I think that that's a, that's a good thing for a head coach to do. I don't like guys like Adam Gase who just talk about God knows what and you don't even know what they're saying. Mike Zimmer deals in facts, and while it may be annoying, they're accurate. Okay, so this is this was this team. Now the harping point was that little chunk at the very end of the interview where he said this may have been the best we could do. If seven and nine is the best we can do, we got to put the mirror. We gotta, we, <laughs> we gotta, something's got to change. Yes. Um, we got to turn the mirror on someone and someone's got to address the fact, you know, why they're seven and nine yeah. as opposed to being a playoff team just one year ago. Um, yes. A lot of things change. Yes. There is a lot of circumstances beyond your control this year, but to outright say yeah, yeah, yeah. the best we could do, that just doesn't have a good feel. 
Right. And so I think, so he kind of began the spiel by saying, you know, you've got to get a lot better. He did say, I've got to be a lot better. So right. like, he's not absolving himself from responsibility. And we also should always take what Zimmer says at the press conference podium with a grain of salt. Like he's sure. just kind of doing them to do them, to get them over with and to kind of move on with his life after, after that, whether it's a, you know, after a win against the best team in the league or against, you know, if you lose the lions or whatever, he's going to react that way. Um, but y- y- you're right. Like you can't say, you know, he, he goes through all the, the circumstances, right? He says all these injuries we got to, we had players miss a lot of time. We had guys, um, you know, skip due to COVID. We had this and this and that. Um, we had blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it sounds to me like he's making a bunch of excuses and then trying to applaud himself again for going seven and nine, which um, like it, it, it's not going to fly that way. And I know, I think he was just really trying to wrap up the press conference. Like it was almost, it was done. He was wrapping it up. I think he was just trying to like be done with the year and just be done with it. And this is just what came out of his mouth. And so I'm not going to like, you know, disown Mike Zimmer or anything like that. Um, but it's just not a good look when your coach says, Oh, the best we could do is seven to nine. That, that reflects very poorly on, you know, your GM for the roster that was put together and the depth behind the guys who did get hurt. It reflects also on poorly on the, to the players that are actually playing and, and executing your your scheme, your offense, your defense, uh, saying that they can't do anything very well. Uh, it's also a poor reflection on you with the coach, you know, if the best you can do is seven and nine. It's an indictment on the organization as a right. whole. And so that, okay, again, he didn't say anything that was incorrect, right? I don't, what he said, that quote right there, that's so annoying to all of us, myself included, also seems very rational to me. The problem is, is that the person who said it, it's not what was said, it's the person who said it, right? So his kind of what you're describing, right, where he's going through and saying, you know, we lost Barr, Pierce opted out, Hunter got hurt, Kendrick's got missed the, you know, a couple key games this season. You know, all of these things, all completely accurate. I'm mad about it too. I think the Vikings were put at a disadvantage as a result of those things as well. But then you get to the end here and you sound like a fan. You sound like a fan, not the head honcho of an organization. You sound like you're on Twitter trying to combat someone that's saying your team is trash. No, you're just making excuses. It's like you go on Twitter and sometimes like just to say I I need to be better. Seven nine is not what we're looking for. That was not the goal we set for this year. And our goal next year is to improve on that and, you know, make a playoff run and win a championship for this organization. That is what you say. Don't put a limit on. Right. your level of skill or the organization's level of skill at any point in time. And if you're going to set a limit, set it at 16 and 0, be that asshole. I don't care if you're going to be that guy who's overly optimistic. Don't be so pessimistic that you sound like me. That's like, that's, <laughs> that's wrong. Not the, that's not what the head coach should be. And exactly. It, it's it's yeah. one thing to be realistic. It's another thing to literally be like, well, always me. We still suck. This happened and this happened and we couldn't overcome it. This is our bar. You just don't say that when you're the head honcho, you can't, you cannot, it, no matter how real it is. Hey, if you're one in 15, you still say, I think we could have been better this year. Like what are, what are the players on his team supposed to think of that? You know, like, I mean, what, what like, I, I want out of there. I mean, if I'm a player and I'm thinking, well, geez, this team is seven and nine at best and going into next year, I don't know how much better we can get because, you know, this defense was one of the worst in the league. Um, you know, we've got a quarterback that's making a 
billion dollars. So the salaries are going to be limited. Like, like if I'm a player, I want out of there if I can get out of there because of that, that type of attitude. So now once again, I'm going to clarify that this is Mike Zimmer saying this, he might not have even known he said this. He was just trying to get done with the press conference, be done with it, move on with his life. But the way this came out of his mouth was just, it's not a good reflection of, of, you know, leadership at head coach, uh, at the head coach role, uh, for a team that was 79 and fell below expectations, but that's, uh, he's going to get a fair shot again. He's not leaving anywhere. Uh, he's going to be the head coach next year. And so by that time, we'll forget about this whole comment and sure it's, it's an odd year. So who the heck knows? Maybe they'll make another playoff run. I was just going to say, you I mean, you know, it's an, it's an odd year next year. So, you know, the Vikings are going 11 and five. So you can be confident in that. Just knowing that historical precedent says that that's going to happen. The future right. is now. So, um, yeah, I think that's about all we need to say on that. I, I don't, I didn't like it either, but you're right. We don't need to condemn a head coach for uh, trying to get away from the media when he's got right. a full off season. Yeah. We don't know out. either. Like we, we're never going to know what, like there was actually, you know, what the motivations were of his words or anything like that. So it's just, and a lot of it too, is you, you read it in like the, you know, when the media tweets it out or when the media right. gives you the, the script or whatever, it, it looks way worse when you read the words than when, you know, he actually says it too. So it's just, there's it's important. That's right. true. Yeah, that is important. All right. So moving on to something that actually matters for the future of this organization. And that is Gary Kubiak and his potential departure from the offensive coordinator position, right? So Gary Kubiak, of course, joined the team as a consultant a couple years back. If you are familiar with Gary Kubiak, you know that he has had health concerns or he has, you know, stated health concerns as his reasoning for taking a step back from football on multiple occasions. Uh, this is something that he has done throughout his career. He's dealt with a lot of different things that he believes, you know, has impacted his life expectancy and he has taken a step back. Now, when he joined the Vikings as a consultant a couple years back, we all thought thought, well, this is perfect for a guy. He just sits up in the booth. He, you know, he explains things when he needs to. He helps embed his, con you know, his concepts into this team. And then potentially, you know, his son, Clint, maybe does the hard work, right? The stuff that stresses yeah. you out. Um, that's not what happened, of course. He becomes the offensive coordinator. And I think Vikings fans were excited about that. And you got the results, I think, that we, you know, you kind of expect from his style of West Coast offense and play action formula and running the back, you know, zone scheme and whatnot. That all translates to next year if you, you know, if you hire the right guy. But the point being here is once again, the Vikings have put themselves in a situation where they're going to have turnover at the offensive coordinator position. This time it's on them. OK, Kevin Stefanski up and left because he had a better opportunity. You can't control that this time. You hired Kubiak. You kind of knew that he might be gone if, right. you know, this situation presented itself. And it did. So it right. seems like Kubiak's going to be gone. Your initial reaction to just the fact that the Vikings are losing an offensive coordinator who just produced, you know, the best rookie season of all time for you know, a rookie receiver, arguably um, of the best statistical year for Kirk Cousins, arguably in a number of different ways. Um, Dalvin Cook, right. premium year for him as well. How do you feel about this? Well, I'm never going to, you know, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, how I put this, Gary Kubiak's got to put his health first. And so I'm never going to like get right. mad at him for retiring or giving up on the team, so to speak. Like that's not what he's doing. Um, the, the part that, you know, you have to look at is, why an offensive court, an offensive minded coach as your head coach is so important um, because clearly offense reigns supreme in the NFL right now. Right. I mean, you look around the teams that are the best teams in the NFL are the best offensive teams in the NFL, Kansas city, green Bay, Buffalo, uh, Tampa Bay, uh, 
you know, you, you name it. Best teams in the NFL have a great offense and their defenses usually aren't uh, kind of at the same level. So the, like that, that that's the disconnect for me in terms of, you know, I, I love Mike Zimmer and I think in a lot of ways, and I would also put this 2020 into that year, even after what we just talked about, that he's been dealt a pretty poor hand and he's still been able to, I think he's overachieved given what he's been dealt. You know, he had 2016 with the eye surgeries and he had, uh, you know, yeah, Everest Griffin, what he dealt with in 2018 and stuff like that. Like it's, it hasn't been easy for Zimmer, but he's been able to make it work and keep the Vikings competitive for the most part. Uh, but an offensive minded head coach, is just the way to go in the NFL. Now, I mean, quarterback is becoming more and more the most important position before it already was, uh, if you have a great quarterback, you have a great team. That's just the way it is now. And you got to help your quarterback in the most, you know, the best way you possibly can. And having a new offensive coordinator every single year is perhaps the worst way to help your quarterback succeed. So, and now that's five years in a row, they're going to have a different head, uh, offensive coordinator. I mean, you had Norvin 2016, Shermer 2017, uh, Filippo 2018, Stefanski 2019, Kubiak 2020, somebody else in 2021. That's not easy on any, any team, any quarterback to repeat good offensive play. And so while it is, you know, the, the, the offense was great this year, uh, but you, you can't now expect it or have a certain level of expectation going into 2021 for that to repeat itself with a new guy at the helm. And now I, I don't know who they're going to hire, what the plan is in terms of keeping the same scheme, the zone stuff, play action, like you said, but it's uh, this is the, this is the risk you run when you go with a, a defensive minded head coach. And the Vikings have to, you know, shoulder that. And that just comes with the, you know, making it tough on Kirk Cousins to succeed. None of nothing you said right there was wrong. It's kind of a hard truth for teams that are led by a defensive guy. I mean, this goes for Tennessee as well. They're probably going to yep. lose their offensive coordinator this year. Mike Vrabel's still an awesome head coach. Derrick Henry's still a great running back. Their offensive scheme will probably work regardless because of all the talent that they have. But you lose our favorite word, a word that we haven't really used as much on this podcast, but continuity. I mean, the Vikings have had zero continuity, like you said, at the most important position in all of sports. You're asking Kirk Cousins to do a, you know, a lot in terms of learning, whether it's new language, new formations, new systems, new management style, new f- calls at the line of scrimmage, different expectations. Um it's a lot more studying, right? It's like going to it's it's like going back to school every time you hire a new offensive coordinator, yep. as opposed to starting from you know page twenty. So, so and the problem with this one. is that Zimmer doesn't like let the offensive coordinator just do offense. Like it's not like he kind of gives the reins over to the this offensive coordinator and lets lets him handle all of it. Like you saw that in twenty eighteen with DiFilippo, where. Filippo was much more pass happy than some of these other recent co- coordinators have been. Uh, and Zimmer didn't like that. And it got, you know, they collided a little bit, ended up with Filippo being canned middle of the season. Uh, and Zimmer, of course, wanted Stefanski and now Kubiak to, you know, rely heavily on the run. And that's what happened. Uh, and that's, I guess, the fault I still have, or the one critique I still have uh, with Kubiak, despite the high efficiency numbers this year. But, um, I think, you know, that's the the other thing about this too, is if Zimmer would kind of just let the offensive mind, so to speak, kind of take over the offense and, you know, trans like transform it into something more modern. I think that's where the Vikings could really go places even further than they are. But again, there's a lot of moving parts to this. It's just, that's the, 
that's the problem because now if this offensive coordinator, like there's no right answer to, to the, the new hire here. If the new guy's great, it's going to get a head coaching job offer somewhere else. If the new guy sucks, well, he sucks. And it's going to be, I mean, he's going to be canned or going to be gone. The offense is going to stink. Like he's going to be a bad team. There's no right answer to this hire, which is the, again, the issue of uh, not having an offensive head coach. And what makes it even worse is that the Vikings have slowly over the last two years become an offensive football team. It, we played to win with the quarterback and running back right now. Right. Now, that's you the thing. You, can, you can defend having a defensive head coach if your defense is awesome every year, which up until this year was the case. Yeah, Vikings yeah. defense was awesome. But right. uh, now it's not necessarily that. So we've identified the issue and we have been, you know, we're all very well aware of the kind of ongoing issue. The, ch- the thing is here is that Zimmer's not going anywhere now. He's not going to be fired. There's no report. There's no, there's no reason to suggest that he won't be in Minnesota when 2021 season begins. So how do you fix this? Uh, I don't, I think you're right in that you can't really get a long-term fix here because you're, you know, you're going to lose that coach. If you know, how many teams are hiring after every single year, eight, pretty much five to 10. I mean, 10's a lot, but you know, somewhere in that range, usually. So if you have a, if you, if the, the Vikings hire a guy, um, I'm going to, I'm just going to use Clint Kubiak as the example here, because he could, he seems like a kind of the natural advance as opposed to going in a different direction, right? You hand the keys over to the sun, right? It's nepotism. Uh, but in this case, it, it might work because you get the continuity that you need a similar voice, a similar style, mm-hmm. a guy who's been raised, not just personally, but professionally, uh, you have that option, right? So let's say it's Clint Kubiak. Um, and let's say he gives you the same level of output this year. He's one guy who might need to have back-to-back years before, you know, head coaching consideration. Something just to think about. I don't think that Clint Kubiak's the best candidate, but if you're if you, the Vikings value continuity as much as we do, and they have shown zero implication that they do value continuity like we do given the last six seasons – but it's something to consider if the Vikings are looking to go in that direction. When they hired Stefanski, they were well aware that he was a hot name already, right? right. When they hired Filippo, they were aware he's a hot name already. Now, those two guys kind of are the, the extreme extremes here on what can happen at, when you're a hot name. But ultimately, Clint Kubiak's probably the safest choice. Now, I don't really like to play it safe, especially when a Super Bowl is involved and the Vikings have already lost too many of those. And I don't even have, haven't even had the opportunity to see them play in one yet. So I would like to be aggressive here. That would be if I'm the general manager, if I'm Rick Spielman, if I'm the Wilfs, if I have any, if I'm anyone who has input on this decision, I'm going to be aggressive and I'm going to target a guy who not just gives you continuity, but could potentially make you better as well. So continuity, the safe choice is probably Clint Kubiak. The aggressive choice is going outside of the organization, targeting someone who will bring in some familiar concepts, but also some new things as well. And I think there's a couple of good names. I think that our team at Climbing the Pocket has identified some good ones in Pep Hamilton specifically, a guy that probably isn't going to be a head coach yet, but would be a good offensive coordinator. That's Flip said that. And you've got Jordan who argued, you know, the Anthony Lynn, who just got fired from the Los Angeles Chargers organization, runs literally the same scheme – I don't. I can't confirm this, but Jordan can use the similar terminology. All of those type of things, where you can get continuity, mm-hmm. but you get a new voice in there as well. Is there any names outside of maybe those two, or do you like one of those two guys more than anyone else in terms of hiring an offensive coordinator? We're not hiring a head coach. Right. You got to hire someone within a role that they you know are ready for. Right. Yeah. I think. I mean, I think Anthony Lynn. I mean, for as maybe uh, the reputation doesn't isn't awesome at this point given i think 
it, it seems a lot of his poor reputation comes from the game management aspect of coaching being the head coach, right? That's where the chargers lost a lot of their games. Now I'm not saying it's all Anthony Lynn's fault, but there's a lot of poor kicks and stuff involved there as well. But I mean, that does make a ton of sense. And he and Zimmer have coached on the same staff before. And of course the, they have that mutual connection to, to Gary Kubiak uh, in the past as well. And um, there are other two that I saw brought up uh, were Jay Gruden, who now the other issue with this is Jay Gruden has been critical of Kirk since leaving Washington uh, in terms of, or since I think Kirk left Washington, but about, you know, Kirk, Kirk's uh, refusal to sort of create plays on his own. And he sticks to the, yeah. sticks to the, the play call, so to speak, almost too much and kind of limits himself a little bit, which I think is a fair criticism. Uh, but he but said it out there loud. is, Might but there is the familiarity there, right? Like they've yeah. played, they've worked together before. And, and then of course they've been on the same staff in Cincinnati with Zimmer as well. Right. Yes. And then the other one would be Hugh Jackson, which also Cincinnati um, and, and that staff as well. So there's and, and now Hugh Jackson, Again, his reputation right now is a little bit like Lynn's, where it's not uh, awesome given recent success as a head coach. But um, in terms of just familiarity with Mike Zimmer and what he's looking for, I guess those are a couple more names to watch. But I'm with you where I kind of want to, like, with your the offense is already going to be, it's going to be limited regardless just because Zimmer's there. and He wants that run first, like clock control, ball control type of offense. Uh, but I want, I do want somebody fresh in there that can maximize Kirk a little bit more than what the Vikings are doing by running the ball all the time on second and long or second and short. I want them to, I want, just want whoever the new coordinator is to be a little bit more creative. And maybe that is Clint Kubiak. Maybe he's when he has control, he'll do some different things there. I don't know, but, uh, there's just a couple more names there and there are a lot more out there as well. There's a ton of them. I'm, you know, I think when I look for head coaches, kind of, or excuse me, when I'm looking for coordinator positions, I look for guys. Kind of the first, my first thing that I look at is teams that have an offensive-minded head coach, or you know, if you're looking for a defensive coordinator, you look for a defensive-minded head coach, someone that's going to block that person from their ultimate goal, right? So off the top of my head, I think Kellen Moore, Mike McCarthy just got hired. Kellen Moore is, you know, young, smart. Uh, played in the NFL at the quarterback position. Not necessarily well, but he knows the ins and outs of it. Uh, he's innovative uh, and he's challenging, right? He will challenge kind of the, the uh, what the Vikings have been doing. Um, they will try to, he'll try to adapt the scheme to 2021 as opposed to the, you know, the 1970s offense that they sometimes are running in Minnesota. Uh, so you, got, you can consider all of these types of names as well, because Kellen Moore, I mean, what's more attractive to you? Sitting behind Mike McCarthy or going to Minnesota and proving yourself and potentially being a head coach the next year? I think that you can reach out to guys like that and just level their interest. See if they can, you know, you can get them to take a the same role with a better situation. Yeah, so I do wonder, things. though, like uh, on that on that perspective, like going after these guys. And then, I mean, would Zimmer be a part of this and being like, you know what? I don't, my job's not secure right now. So you might be able to get a, a job a here. So, too. I mean, like, I don't know if Zimmer would be quite on board with that part, but like, Does I he do have a choice see there though, Does but I, 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 to your know. point though, I do think like logically speaking, it's probably not something that would be set in negotiations, but it's something that could be understood. Like Mike Zimmer's job took a security, took a major hit this year. Right. For like sure. that's something that's, I, I think if you look at it objectively took probably, I mean, that's not difficult to see. So that's he's where a, I think he's a seven and nine year away from being fired. 
Right. And I think that's where somebody can look at this situation and think that there is a better chance for promotion rather, or maybe than you know, where he's at now or where, like you said, with Dallas having just hired McCarthy, he's probably got a little bit more secure, uh, maybe cooler seat underneath it. The other option and the kind of the final option here in terms of the general standard for when you're looking for a new coordinator is to look at guys in college, innovative coaches, right? Guys who are bringing new concepts, new schemes, and something that you think may or may not make it in the at the NFL level. We've seen it happen both ways. You know, you've seen guys like Pete Carroll go from being very good in college to great in the NFL. And then we've seen guys like, you know, whether it's Chip Kelly, who was outstanding at Oregon and literally dismantled multiple franchises in his tenure in the <laughs> NFL. I mean, you can go either way here. The benefit being is that you're hiring an offensive coordinator, not someone to run your organization, someone to run your offense, which is you know less of you know less dramatic, I suppose. Um, the obvious name here is Lincoln Riley. Can you pull Lincoln Riley? I coach would be surprised. <laughs> offensive coordinator position. I mean, you have to pay him more than he's making at Oklahoma, so that's not going to happen. We could pretty much just write this one off. I don't think. In my mind, there's not a – and granted, you should all be well aware of the fact that I'm not the most well-versed in college football as a whole. I don't really care, you know, about the 250 coaches that are playing – that are coaching in the FBS here. But my, I don't think that there's any clear-cut candidate that you want to pull. I think they pulled Joe Barry last year from LSU, and they got him in the NFL. And really, to me, the next one up would be, I don't know, Steve Sarkeesian, who just took it at Texas, and I don't trust him as far as I can throw him. So – it's it's an interesting situation. I don't think there's an obvious candidate in college either. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think I think it's very likely that the hire is Clint Kubiak. I, I that seems like the very safe move, like the safe and likely move the Vikings make. Like they're trying to keep this team, you know, the same, right? Like preserve just, what you got. Yeah, right. I mean, they just extended Zimmer. They just extended uh, Kirk Cousins. They just extended Spielman. They're going to try and keep those guys, uh, provide as much continuity to me. Uh, they're, those guys are going to try and keep that together. And so I don't think they're going to try and disrupt it at all. That's my guess. That's what I would put my money on is Kubiak being elevated uh, to offensive coordinator. Um, and I, I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad move because uh, I think you know, Gary Kubiak's sexy, offense was, I mean, it was efficient. Uh, again, I still have qualms with the you know high tendency to run the ball probably too much, but maybe Clint's different. Uh, but either way, I think, uh, that's that's my guess for what the Vikings do. And again, like you said, it's not sexy, but uh, it's probably the safest move of anything. Um, and uh, again, the if they do it, the if they do it, fine. Like I'm whatever, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I do think that that I would go with you as well. I would say that that's probably the most likely. I think the point that you brought up about Mike Zimmer kind of fearing for his job security is relevant too. I don't think you'd ever say it out loud. He, no, I don't. It's not even that I don't think he would never say this out loud. No, but and he shouldn't. I, I mean, that'd be, he wouldn't. But I'd, it's the same type of situation as drafting Jalen Hurts in the second round when you have Carson Wentz on your team. It's it's kind of just a bit like it makes it's it adds more nerves than there needs to be. Yeah, and, true. As we've seen in Philadelphia, of course, there there needed to be those nerves given what happened in 2020. But uh, this will all develop. There will be – I'm sure we'll probably – there's a very good chance we'll have an answer by the next yeah. time we talk to you guys. You and the other thing, too, is – I mean, Zimmer's probably wary, too, of hiring somebody from outside after what happened with Filippo. So there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that aren't going to be considered here, but that there's just more reason there to think it's going to be an in-house hire. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, this will be an interesting situation given that there's no clear-cut answer, um, no obvious candidate that stands out this time around. So uh, something to look forward to as well and something that we will, of course, be talking about when that decision is ultimately made. But as far as the present, uh, let's finish up here talking about where we stand in the NFL postseason. So now the Vikings, of course, do not get to enjoy the pleasure of playing in the 2020-2021 NFL postseason. But uh, it should be it should be pretty fun. Um, I was looking at kind of the way that this is shaken out, right? You've got New Orleans and Chicago. That, by the way, was the minus eight and a half point game. Um, you were right when you said that earlier. Uh, you've got Seattle and Los Angeles, of course, an interdivision rivalry that'll be playing out in the postseason. Washington, of course, plays against Tom Brady. That you know the great defense against what is seemingly becoming arguably the best offense in the NFL. Uh, and then on the AFC side, you got f- plenty of fun as well. Indianapolis squeaks in at the number seven seed at 11-5 and gets to play against Buffalo. Jonathan Taylor's coming off a 250-yard game. You got Pittsburgh and Cleveland. And then you got Tennessee and Baltimore, which will be – we'll see how many running yard, rush yards that they can put up between those two organizations. Yeah. Um, so a lot of fun here even with the Vikings out. Um, as far as our picks went, uh, Drew and I both shot over 60% on the season. I finished at 173 and 83 for 67 and a half percent and drew at 160 and 96 for 62 and a half percent. Now for historical perspective, Drew beat me the last time that we did this. He beat me by 13 games last time. I beat him by 12 games this, or excuse me, 13 times this time, 13 games. So are time. we all square? We are completely square heading into <laughs> the rubber match of the 2021 season. Uh, I know nobody cares except for Drew and I, but that's where we stand in that regard. But back to the playoffs here. What is the matchup you're most excited about? Uh, what needs to happen for the playoffs to be fun the following week, right? Not just this week, but the following week as well. Um, and just your overall perspective on the teams that did and did not get in. Yeah, so I think, first of all, and NFC East doesn't belong. And I think that this is a very strong case this season for like the, uh, you know, reconfiguration of the playoff setup where uh, now in this case, it's it's a little bit of a, of a one-off where there's no fans, but like, if there are fans for playoff games and Washington gets the host one after going seven and nine, like I, I'm not here for that, especially the way they won that seventh game with Philadelphia inexplicably benching their guys. So yeah. um, I do think Brown Steelers is very fun. Uh, I think that's probably the most fun matchup for me this week. Uh, I believe it's the last one of the week too, uh, but that is the most, fun, just because the AFC North rivalry, you got Baker kind of trying to prove himself as, you know, worthy first round pick. I think the Browns have a ton of talent. They have Kevin Stefanski having as head coach and also Mike Prefer as special teams coordinator. So a lot of familiarity there with Minnesota as, as a fan of the Vikings. And then you have the Steelers who with big Ben and like, they're the kind of the, the big brother, so to speak of the AFC North. And they've, they've won, they've been there and this would be sort of a chance for them to be dethroned, so to speak in that division. So I'm, that's the one I'm most excited for, but I would say I'm also excited for Ravens Titans, given what happened last year in the playoffs and how those teams are both kind of coming into the playoffs. I think the Ravens have really found something the last few weeks. They had a 2% chance at one point of making the postseason, by the way, and they found a way to run the table and finish at 11 and five. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think about the seven seed? The fact that, you know, the, now that we know which teams are getting in and which ones are left out as a result, how do you feel, you know, without this thing, this whole thing playing out, how do you feel about this? It's it's interesting, right? Because there's no way in any planet, the Chicago bears should be in the playoffs. Right. Right. Uh, But on the other, on on the flip side, side, yeah. The, the Colts are 100% a playoff team, and they deserve to be in the playoffs. Uh, in and the Miami, so, too. Yeah, you could argue Miami as well. They so, looked terrible yesterday, but they still had the record. To so do. now I think if you look at Miami's 
schedule, like they played a cupcake schedule this year. Right. So I think that that would kind of, for me, get that gets them to their 10 win season. I believe they had finished 10 yeah. wins, but um, so, I mean, seven is just a weird number for me. Like it doesn't, it doesn't fit well. Like I get it. And it also puts a bunch of, uh, it gives a huge advantage to the one seeds that they already had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of further uh, emphasizes the need for teams to get that one seed if they have the chance to do so. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't love the change. Um, I, I kind of would rather, I think I'd rather stick with six if the, you know, the choice is represented to myself where I think two teams get a buy. Um, and then otherwise I think you, if you're going to go to seven, you might as well go to eight and just kind of give that number one team, make them play a game against the worst playoff team. Uh, Cause I think there's, that's almost too much. Now I, again, I thought one, one team earned this and they deserve that first round buy and the home field advantage and stuff. But I think you're almost giving them too much of an advantage, if that makes sense, uh, where I think you're going to get from now on, at least as long in the seven playoff team era, you're going to get one seeds in the Super Bowl against each other more, way more often than not. I think so. We have to see how this format actually plays out uh, for me to get a real answer to my assumption here. But I don't like that 43% of NFL teams make the playoffs now. That just bugs me. Is that what it is? I guess uh-huh. it, it yeah. used to be 37 and a half. Now it's we're over 40. Yeah. I mean, it, it's 14 it, and 32 it, it, teams. You got to compare it because like, that's it used to be more like the MLB, right? MLB is not very high percentage. I think it's I like that. It used I'm to be like 30% or 35. I mean, something like it that. It makes so. it a prize no matter how you make right. the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like NBA, right? Like NBA is over 16. half. Yeah, it's dumb. Um, I hate NHL that. is similar, I think. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, but no, you're right. So I do like that. It, I like to your point. I, I think it should be a, a, an actual reward for making the playoffs. And so like the Bears this year, they don't deserve it. But they get to celebrate a, a playoff berth, and then they go to New Orleans and get spanked by 20. So, I mean, it What's is what What's the benefit is. here, kind of? I think the obvious money. benefit here <laughs> – Right. It's more money, but the benefit to us as fans, right? We get to see the two seed play on wild card weekend. That's really, That's really the, it. That's really it. An extra if you're a Bears six fan, hours of football. Yeah. If you're a Bears fan or a Colts fan, you get to watch postseason football for your team um, as a result of this new format. But like, like really like two seven, like I guess Bill's Colts could be fun because you, you got the best case scenario there where you've got a 13 and three Buffalo team. That's killing it against an 11 and five Indianapolis team that is running it down teams throw straight now. Like this is best case scenario for NFL. They get the two seed playing a competitive football game mm-hmm. against a team that was supposed to be bad. Uh, but on the flip side, then, like you said, you get New Orleans, Chicago. No one's, I don't want to watch that game. Not only do I hate both those teams, right. but it's just not, a, it's not a sexy matchup anymore because eight and eight, and I mean six and ten is seven yeah. and nine well, is and even the, worse. The, but. Yeah, I think you, I think you might as well just go to eight in both conferences, honestly. And but I, then you get I, the Cardinals I, in at eight and eight, and Miami I, in at I ten know. and six. I know, I know, but <laughs> the seven thing is weird to me because, like, the tiebreakers can play in a factor so much into a sixteen game season or seventeen which might be expanded to. Right. We're like, let's say you have two teams at fourteen and two in the same conference, right? Why should some little tiebreaker make the difference to give a team a, a buy? And home field advantage over a team that has to play a home, play a game in wild card weekend to maintain you know their status in the playoffs still. So that like I don't like that, that is probably going to happen sooner than later in this uh, you know in this playoff format. I don't think it happened this year, to my knowledge. Um, I don't think a tiebreaker dealt with accent rip. I believe Green Bay stayed above New Orleans and Seattle, um, and then I believe 
in the AFC, Kansas City was you know fifteen and one and or fourteen and two, uh, stayed above Pittsburgh and and Buffalo. So, but that is going to happen soon, and I'm not going to like it when a tiebreaker makes that difference between a team that's you know home field advantage and they only they get the first round by versus the two seed that does not. I will say that if Arizona got in, the playoffs are a little bit more fun. Like if you yes. flip Chicago and Arizona, oh, for sure. Kyler Murray in there all of a sudden, and it's a it's a much more fun picture. So. Arizona has a way better chance to win at New Orleans than absolutely Chicago it, does. It's just it's just a lot more. I will say this for the seven game for the seven team format is that you do get the opportunity to get to let someone in the door that shouldn't be there but has potential. And I think Arizona was that team. I don't think it's mm-hmm. Chicago, but Arizona's not uh, there yet. But they could have maybe shown you know the flashes of future success exactly and you kind of present it it, for the nfl standpoint like you get to present a new fun organization that you could potentially be highlighting you know in your major weekend games the following season so anyways that's where you know we'll see how this plays out i I like that we get more football at the end of the day that's good right Uh, i'm never gonna be mad about that um as far as these games goes, you mentioned Pittsburgh and Cleveland and then Tennessee and Baltimore is kind of the two preeminent matchups here. I'm with you there as well. I'll add Seattle and Los Angeles to that um, as kind of being an, you know another competitive matchup that could end up being pretty fun. Um, let's just pick those three games. Who you got in Pittsburgh and Cleveland to start? Pittsburgh, Cleveland, I'm, I, I'm going to go, eh, I'll have some fun with this. I'll go Cleveland. Uh, and then I don't, like, I don't think Pittsburgh is that – different with big ben instead of mason rudolph like obviously he's an upgrade and has the experience and the winning in the playoffs and everything like that's really not something you can quantify but i think the the offense is very limited in pittsburgh a lot a lot of short passes and then the one the occasional deep shot but it's more or less the same and so i think the browns have the you know the toughness the defensive talent and I mean, they're due. They're due for a playoff win. So I'll, I'll stick with the Browns here just for the heck, for, just for the sake of rooting for Kevin Stefanski. I will definitely be rooting for Cleveland to win. Um, I, I also think they're going to win, but I, I think that that, you know, what's going to make me wrong here when I'm wrong uh, is that, uh, that, that, you know, that trait that you identified, the playoff experience. Yeah. Baker Mayfield's first playoff start against Ben Roethlisberger's. And I can, I can see a scenario very easily where, you know, Baker just – blows everything up and you exactly. know throws three picks loses a couple fumbles you're gonna get an extreme here it's either yeah. gonna be a crazy browns victory or people are gonna be talking about drafting or it's gonna be about 30 to 6 Steelers. yeah <laughs> um tennessee and baltimore the other fun one that you mentioned here in the afc uh derrick henry goes over 2,000 yards uh lamar jackson becomes the only quarterback in nfl history to go back to back 1,000 yard rushing seasons they've been rushing for about 350 plus a week for the last three weeks between dobbins ingram jackson etc gus edwards uh, this is literally like the most rushing football matchup yeah. you're, you can this get. is not 2020 football uh, who gets this one done derrick henry got almost 400 carries this year um i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with tennessee just because i like tennessee more um arthur smith is gonna be head coach in about three weeks yeah You'll see how far the Titans go in the in the playoffs, but um, he's going to be a head coach and he deserves it. Uh, the Titans' offense is really nice, uh, despite that like, they run the ball too much, but they make it work with a lot of play action as well, kind of like the Vikings did this year. So I'm going to take and I kind of going off this too, based off of how they in a way shut down Lamar last year in the playoffs. I think something yep. similar could happen again this year. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm taking Tennessee as well. Uh, the line says Ravens minus four and a half. I would 
I would definitely take um, those points that they're going to give you for Tennessee. I think this one's going to be really close. I think it's going to be really fun. And I think it's going to be the the running, the, excuse me, the rushing version of a shootout where it's just let's see who can get to like 350 running <laughs> rushing yards first. Um, it'll be super interesting. Um, I love, you know, I love both of these teams in terms of kind of their weird, unique philosophies and what they bring in terms of just general excitement. Uh, so this will be a fun one, but I'm with you on Tennessee. Um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to scale back what I said before Seattle and Los Angeles could be fun, but the other one that I want to pick here, I'm just going to stay straight AFC. I think the NFC is trash. Um, I'm not excited at all about any of these matchups, but Buffalo and Indianapolis could be fun. And the question that I posed to you earlier in terms of like, what needs to happen this weekend to make next weekend fun, Buffalo needs to win this. We need Buffalo here. Yep. And another fun Vikings, uh, kind of twist to this matchup is Stefan Diggs versus Xavier Rhodes. Uh, who, by the way, Rhodes has been awesome this year in a very low-key way. I think he led the PFF had a uh, – they tweeted out the stat the other week. I think it was last week. Uh, best completion percentage allowed for starting cornerbacks this year, Xavier Rhodes. So, which, of course, you know, after he gets let go by the Vikings. But, of course, uh, I'm going to take the Bills here. No one's uh, mad about that, by the way. <laughs> which, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's flown very under the radar, <laughs> which Vikings could really use as Xavier Rhodes right now. You're um, good. But I'm gonna go with the Bills here. They're just they're they're too good right now. Uh, they they can't seem to stop scoring points. I mean, they're scoring points, you know, 40, 50 t- points a week at this point. So that offense is humming. I don't think the, even the Colts defense can really slow them down right now. Josh Allen's firing on all cylinders. Stephon Diggs is arguably the best receiver in football. Give me the Bills. Yeah, I'm gonna take Buffalo as well. Uh, we don't really get any fun there in terms of our predictions. I suppose I think we took all the safe picks with the exception of Cleveland, and really Pittsburgh hasn't really done anything to incite any optimism lately from its fan base. So I don't think we're going too far out of bounds here with their predictions for this week. I think it'll be a pretty standard weekend. I think it'll be an exciting weekend, uh, but ultimately, you know, I think you get a couple of standards yeah. here too. You know, I think I what we ultimately want, and this is, I guess, this maybe just as me, just me. Yeah, maybe you agree, but we ultimately want Bills Chiefs. Yes, AFC sure game. And we yeah. want Bucks Packers in the NFC. So I would be, I would love, like the team that I want to win would be Cleveland. Like I would love to see Cleveland go all the way and oh, yeah. here and, get, and win the Super Bowl. Obviously, I don't think that's going to happen. And I also think that it has the potential to make the AFC Championship just terrible. Like if you, if yeah. if we get the Chiefs and Browns, like it might be forty to ten. You know, it might not even be fun. If you get the Chiefs and Bills, we might get like forty nine to forty two. You never know. You know, it could be really really exciting. So. Buffalo needs to win. I'm with you on that. I would love to see that AFC championship, that exact AFC championship. Although I would be interested to see Tennessee, Kansas City all over again. Sure. And I would like to see, you know, I would be okay with Baltimore making a run as well. The reason why I say the NFC sucks is because I'm not like, there's nothing here. I, I guess there's not any good teams to me. Like it's not just that. Green it's, Bay it's, is the only team to me that. And I like, hate them. I don't want yeah, them to win. Well, right. But like, I, I see faults with the Saints. I see faults with Tampa Bay, not lately, but like they had that really rough stretch in the mm-hmm. middle of the season, right? Seattle has been very iffy for a couple months now. The Rams lost to the Jets. I mean, go down the the, the board here in the NFC. Washington went to seven and nine. I mean, I don't I don't love any of the the teams besides Green Bay. I mean, I, I say love in a you know a right. certain manner there, but you know what I'm saying. Green Bay seems like they have a walk into the Super Bowl here. It just doesn't seem like there's anybody that's going to challenge them, especially at Lambeau Field. Who would you like to see oppose Green Bay? We're talking, of course, you know, I don't oh, want I to mean, see I them. want to see Tampa just because Me I think too. they have the best chance to match up. Like, they, they still have a good roster. 
Like the yeah. defense is good and they smoked green Bay in Tampa earlier this year. So that's the one reason I think that that would present the best closest game. So really uh, the sexy super bowl Bay. here is, is just a competition between the one seeds. Is this what it comes down to? You get 48. Yeah. Oh yeah. The Rogers, his best season in what, 10 years. And you get Patrick Mahomes in the prime of his life. Is that really like that? That's Oh yeah. That's That'd be awesome. Right? Oh yeah. yeah. I think the best game would still be Allen versus Mahomes. I mean, in terms of entertainment, I'd still, I'd rather watch that than, you know, a Packers chiefs super bowl. But, uh, I think as long as you get those four teams, or at least three of those four teams between Bills, Chiefs, Packers, still playing conference championship weekend, I think you're. I think it'll be a fun, a fun, a fun time for these playoffs. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, we've done probably more time than we needed to. Yes. Uh, thank you as always for listening to the show. Uh, is there any final thoughts that you have before we get out of here? I don't think so. Um, I don't really have any. Um, look for the. Uh, I'm excited to see what this Nickelodeon weird broadcast that was is, so funny yeah. uh, with the bears and saints game uh of course they give that game to the kids it's going to be 27 to 6 saints <laughs> so nice um the one thing that i wanted to say is i as i was going through my stat binge today uh, like i do at the end of every nfl season i noticed that Xavier howard who is not a great human being but a very good cornerback put up crazy statistical numbers at the cornerback position this year he had 20 pass defenses and 10 interceptions. So he was involved he had in 10 interceptions. He was involved in 30 pass breakups this year. You know how insane that is? People just stop throwing at you if you're that good. 30 times he not he was it wasn't just incomplete. He was involved in the reason why it was incomplete. That's insane. I don't even know how good of a coverage year he had, but he had a very good statistical year, which is extremely strange at the cornerback position. Interesting. That is Cause I'm curious too. Cause like, it's not like dolphins were now maybe I'm wrong with this, but I don't think the dolphins were like blowing teams out all the time toward the no. point where they'd be throwing like the whole game. I don't think the that defense really was good though. They had a good defense, oh, yeah, very a smart good defense. defensive guy, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, awesome yeah I thought that was super interesting. So feel free to enjoy that statistic. I'm sure you, you know, as a Minnesota Vikings fan, probably haven't heard that one yet. So there's I'm how many, I'm wondering how many pass defenses as a team, the Vikings had this year. Be fun to look something up. we could look up for next show. Maybe. <sighs> wow. Um, yeah, we will jump into the off season as for like, for real next week. Uh, well, you know, whether that's evaluating, you know, the current situation, whether that's, you know, Gary Kubiak being out and someone new coming in, um, or just taking a look back at what went right and what went wrong, all these things, of course, and, you know, and plenty more with the draft and free agency and everything else that goes on throughout the off season. It'll be just one long discussion on how we get better than seven and nine, because I'm not with Mike Zimmer. I don't think that this is the peak here. So, uh, we'll, do our best to figure that out and entertain along the way. So thank you as always for joining us for the 2020 season. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, and we hope that you continue to follow along with us here on iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, Spotify, YouTube, daily Norseman, climbing the pocket, you know, where, you know, where we're located and how you can get in touch with us. So I appreciate you guys listening and we will catch you guys next. Ooh.